Welcome to the Masculinity Podcast, conversations about masculinity, men, and our relationships with them. My name's Mel, and I invite you to pop the kettle on, make a mug of your hot beverage of choice, and join us for a relaxed and open conversation. Today on the Masculinity Podcast, I'm really excited to welcome my dear friend Davey Ward Erickson uh, to the show. Davey is a phenomenal woman, a, an incredible, uh, incredibly skilled human in the field that she worked in. She's a tantra expert. She is a sex coach. Uh, she's worked with men, with women, with trans people. She's worked with couples. She's worked with individuals. And she comes from a tantric lineage. So she's really seeing sexuality as sacred and practice with awareness, compassion, and loving kindness. She's been doing this work uh, since, uh, at least from, since 2000. Uh, she's been featured as an expert in numerous articles, radio, television network. She's the founder of the Institute of Authentic Tantra Education. And today she's here to talk about uh, men and sexuality. Welcome, Davey. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. So I I want to sort of honor a few things here. That This is the first time I've done an episode on the podcast where I don't have any men. It's just you and I talking. And, and I, I think that, you know, if, if the table's if the roles were switched, if it was a couple of men talking about women's sexuality, that would probably feel a little bit weird for me. But I'm wondering if you could offer something about what is it for you that has made you so interested and so passionate about supporting men in their sexual journeys? Well, a few things. Um, I have sex with men um, and have had sex with a lot of men in my life. And so um, the more I understand about male sexuality, uh, the better sex I get to have. I'm a Buddhist and I'm here for the benefit and welfare of all sentient beings. So regardless of what your genital anatomy happens to look like, um, I'm here to support you in healing because a, a lot of it is, is when we're talking about Tantra specifically, um, it's about our humanity. So um, there are things uh, specifically related to how we're conditioned in our culture based on our gender and our sexuality. Um, and there's certain things, you know, anatomically uh, that are addressed through some of the physical um, sexual healing methods. But um, in relationship to becoming a more compassionate, enlightened, evolved and beneficial human being, I'm here for everybody. Beautiful. And as a woman taking a role of leadership in the world of uh, sexual tantra, there, there aren't that very many women who do that. It seems to be that there's, um, in the Western uh, expressions of tantra, it's been a lot of men taking on those roles. Yeah, that's very true. And uh, you also see a lot of dysfunction. Um, and, you know, and it's really, really interesting. My, my Lama Lama Tashi said that um, uh, I had one of my students asking him about like, you know, why is it that so many men in the realm of Western neo-tantra are, you know, there's, there's so much sexual abuse going on and so much sexual misconduct. And my Lama said, mm. because these teachings are meant to be brought up by women. 
And in the Buddhist tradition, women, the Tantra Buddhist tradition of at least of our lineage, the women reigned supreme. Not that we were, you know, superior, but there was an honoring and an acknowledgement that um, inherent within the female form, there is um, access to mm-hmm. states of consciousness. Um, and, and particularly because we govern the life force, because we host the, 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 the life form in our bodies, we get some special perks. <laughs> because of that energetically um, and anatomically. Um, and so the, the wisdom of the um, of Tantra in our lineage was traditionally passed down through women. And in fact, the founders of the Shangpakagyu lineage were two women, Naguma and Sukhasiddhi. And, um, and the first Lama in Tibet was Yeshe Sogyal, was a woman. Um, so she was the first teacher of Tantra Buddhism in Tibet. So, you know, I don't know. For me, that, that has a lot to do with why I feel so empowered uh, to do what I do in the world and speak my truth and find my light is because I'm, I'm, in a, I'm part of a female lineage of sexual Tantra. And I think my observation, and I, and I, I haven't done a lot of dabbling in neo-tantra because I was my introduction to tantra was lineage based and I just haven't colored outside those lines very much since since starting 11 years ago um, but what I've observed from the outside yeah. in, in western neo-tantra is that there's not lineage and so if you're doing these methods without lineage particularly without a teacher without you know whether you call it a guru or a spiritual friend or whatever without some guidance of somebody who you know, who can, who has a, a, a greater level of awareness than we do. Um, it's very easy to get caught in your ego. Um, and it's very easy to, to engage in misconduct uh, unintentionally um, or at times intentionally. So, um, so yeah, that's the state of affairs the way I see it. That's great. And what you're saying there about the, the importance of the lineage. I mean, for me coming from a tantric lineage, that's, you know, from that, from a different branch um, in India, the importance on honoring your lineage and recognizing your elders. And there's been so much more conversation happening how in modern Western society, we've lost those connections to eldership and um, we don't, we don't take that time to recognize. And I mean, it's as simple as like citing your sources. Where is it that these teachings have come from and really honoring that? Um, so thank you for sharing more about the lineage that you are part of and whose traditions you uh, share with the world. Thank you. Thank you. For me, it's been this incredible, like what you offer the world is this incredible treasure trove of information. And, you know, I was drawn into your work in trying to understand my own sexuality. But recently, I've been finding uh, some of your articles about sexuality for men have been helping me understand what I'm noticing my male partners experience. So you have this tiny like mini article it's almost like a teaser it's like a little flirtation of an article that talks about the different kinds of male orgasm and I have to say like so many men I think don't even realize that there are these different kinds of orgasm that they can experience and you know that that it's not just about an ejaculatory orgasm uh, which I think is what western society and and porn and, and all of that conditioning kind of gears them towards, it's like, no, you can have like 
ripples through your body and there there's like an internal orgasm and there's there's this full body orgasms and um yeah that that article has been very helpful for a lot of men that i know well i am absolutely delighted to hear that because yeah i mean i i i really consider that the 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 western where we are as Westerners in relationship to our sexuality is, is very, it, it's very disheartening and it's very sad and it's deeply, deely traumatized. It really is for, for male bodied beings and female bodied beings. It's just, it's painful. Um, and so in the tantric tradition, and again, I'm going to speak of tantric Buddhism because that's <laughs> what I'm actually trained in. Um, but it, it was taught, it c- continues to be taught that every orgasm is a glimpse of enlightenment. And so orgasmic pleasure is actually one of the quickest, fastest ways for us to access our, our enlightened state of consciousness, our bliss consciousness. And so the teachings of Tantra are all about how to cultivate that, how to access it, how to cultivate it, how to sustain it, how to, how to, uh, to create it to, to permeate your entire consciousness so that we live in a state of bliss consciousness. Like that is our true nature. That is our birthright. And so when viewing Western sexuality from, you know, from that perspective, it's, it's heartbreaking. Like, I don't even have the words. I have like this visceral response to my body. Like my heart feels like it's breaking because I really believe that we are being kept from our, our birthright through the conditioning we have around shame and disassociation and disconnection and and guilt about our sexual pleasure. And I see this so much with men. So there's, you know, we get this mixed message in our culture about, uh, particularly for guys, it's like, it's an accepted thing that you're going to beat off and jerk off, but actually, but you're supposed to feel guilty about it. You know, you can joke about it, but, but there's this limit on how much pleasure you're actually allowed to experience. And I had a friend, a male friend say that, you know, men are allowed two two emotions, lust and anger, and that's it. And so cisgendered men are conditioned from the time that they are little boys to disassociate, suppress, oppress their inherent sensuality. And they're allowed to experience sexuality in such a limited way. And it's, it's fast, it's short, it's quick, it's for the goal of this, you know, this peak of, of climax, and that's it. And you have one orgasm, and you ejaculate, and then it's, you feel tired, and then that's it. And, that, and, and that's it. And, like, and all the media, all the ridiculous, quote-unquote, sex education that we isn't really sex education that we receive in this culture is all geared towards that, the cum shot. Right. And, and it's so limiting for men to think that the totality of your sexual pleasure experience is two to seven minutes with a draining, exhausting ejaculatory orgasm at the end, which isn't even that great. Like I've encountered men that ejaculate very often and their, their orgasms are like, it's like, it's, it's like a deep breath. If that, like, that's it. Like it's, you know, it's like, there's, there's like compared to what's possible in regards to pleasure. It's not even the tip of the iceberg. They're going for quantity rather than quality. Well, yeah. And like, and the quality is like, why fucking bother? 
Like, seriously, yeah. you know, I mean, and particu- particularly when we juxtapose it to like an orgasm, imagine a, a, a male orgasm, a non-ejaculatory orgasm that lasts for two minutes or three minutes or five minutes. So, um, imagine having orgasm after orgasm after orgasm. Imagine like coming with your partner over and over and over and over again and, and stopping sex because she's exhausted. <laughs> imagine that like that is your potential so so what what we're conditioned to accept in sexuality is like crumbs on the bathroom floor of a of a rest stop toilet i mean it's it's (laughs) compared to what our true potential is and what your birthright is like if i were I mean, as a woman, when I real when I started exploring my orgasmic potential, I was pissed. I was like, "How come nobody ever told me that my body could do that?" And that's what fueled my passion to teach women. For men, I feel the same way. Like, you should be angry that that this has been kept from you. You should be angry that you've been taught that your sex should look like porn, and that's it. Because that is that's that's not even a crumb compared to what your potential is. And I have heard men say that. They're like, why has no one told me this? I never knew that my body had this ability, had this potential to have this kind of experience. Like what you're talking about, the 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 um, non-ejaculatory orgasms and being able to continue a lovemaking session for hours on end. I I'm, I had that experience once not that long ago and it was just so beautiful and the level of connection that can come from that is just you know beyond words and um I think it's very interesting what you said about how boys from a young age are disassociated from their sensuality you know by all this this shame and guiltifying and and I I really see what, one of the things that's been emerging for me as I have these conversations is how much shame has been used to control and limit men. And, and oh my God. I mean, I think it's been used to control and limit everybody, but there's a very particular way that it's been enacted on cisgendered men. And that seems to dwell around um, what you said your friend said that they're only allowed to have lust and anger. And there's not a lot of education or experiential differentiation between the two. So, you know, and this is something I've seen happening for men after me too, is they're like, I don't want to be that guy. And so I don't know what to do because society has given them the script of men are the pursuers of sex and women are the gatekeepers of sex. And so men have to be this like active pursue and and then that's when it risks falling into that predatorial role, but they don't, there's no access. Uh, they haven't grown up with an experience of the full breadth of their sensual expression to know all these other ways to do it, to even know how to receive yeah. is a struggle for so many men, it seems. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, and, and my belief is that the more, disconnected we are as humans from our pleasure the easier we are to control Mm. so i mean you know from from a political viewpoint um it 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 makes a lot of sense and you know fight or fuck if those are your only two things you're going to make a good soldier and you're going to go to war and you're not going to ask any questions 
So again, it's, it's reclaiming our birthright to our full sexual pleasure is also a revolutionary act. It's a political act. So I just, I, I feel very strongly about it. And when we also throw an in infant male circumcision, um, we're talking about a severe trauma that alters and damages areas of the brain. So how many cisgender men are walking around being, you know, having experienced infant male circumcision and having to cope with that trauma their entire lives and not even recognize that it's yeah. a trauma. And it's pre-verbal trauma. And I, that's, I, I don't think there's been enough research done on what that impact is, but I can just imagine that it's, you know, it, it's like, I would imagine it would be like walking around with a shadow that you don't realize is there. Yes. Yeah. And, and the healing that I've seen with, with uh, my male students and, and, you know, particularly my, my husband, uh, cause I get to see like super up close and personal with him um, has just been phenomenal. So when we acknowledge that the penis is traumatized, I mean, if it's circumcised, it's, it's deeply, mm-hmm. deeply traumatized. And I would say that, you know, shame is traumatizing, guilt is traumatizing, yeah. and, you know, being taught that your sex has to fit into a two-minute box is traumatizing. But specifically when we're talking about um, circumcision trauma and using somatic sexual healing practices to unlock that trauma and and watching uh, as sensation is restored to the entire penis and then seeing what happens to the heart mm. of the man. So I really believe that when that foreskin is severed, it severs energetic connections that lead directly to the heart. So that, you know, that, that functions to help to, to support this disassociation and this disconnection from our sensuality, from our sexuality, from, from a, from a penis to heart connection, I like to say, or genital to heart connection. So as I've observed and, and worked with my, my partner in restoring the sensation in his lingam by specifically addressing healing circumcision trauma, he has blossomed as a man. He's become like fully present in his body. Like his body used to be a prison before it was something to escape from. It was something dangerous and scary, which makes a lot of sense. If you're first born and your first experience of birth is having the tip of your penis cut off, you want to get the hell out of Dodge. Like you don't want to be present in your body. I mean, come on. So, so to move through that and release the, the, the deep profound trauma of that. And, and again, like I said, restore full sensation. Like my, like my husband's like, I feel everything from base to tip for the first time in my life. And it's all like a nine on a pleasure scale of one to 10, like 10 being orgasm. It's like, he feels everything in a way that he, he didn't his entire life. So and it's not just the physical sensation, as I was alluding to, it's also the emotional experience. It's it's like, I can't quite articulate it, but there's this connection between our genitals and our heart center. And when our genitals are shut down, so is our, our emotion to a large degree. And as we free our genitals, we free our souls, yeah. quite literally. This is something that I think a lot of, um, a, a lot of teachings miss out, that... Um, I mean, we're, we're integrated human beings, or at least the aspiration is that we, we can realize all these different kinds of integration within our bodies. And, you know, as I've been talking to people about the way that boys are emotionally conditioned 
um, to be disconnected from most of their emotions, right? Women are given full range of all these emotions, but if they make them too big, they're written off as crazy. Men are given, you know, these very narrow slices of the pie. And I, I definitely, I could, when you're describing how this plays out for men with this early trauma and the disconnection from the heart, I can see that. I can absolutely see that in some people who I've known and it's really heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And I, and what comes to mind is that saying hurt people hurt people. So, you know, we have people coming of age, uh, coming into adulthood who have never accessed um, their full experience of their sensuality, who don't know how to be in their heart. Uh, and there's this men who in our society are given a lot more power and, um, and then that, that, that power ends up being used either consciously or unconsciously, uh, to hurt others because there, there's like a disconnection from that empathy that's so important. Yeah. And, and in studying, uh, human, uh, developmental trauma, uh, that specific type of trauma is, um, it's a connection-based, um, uh, uh, survival style. So what, so it's a connection-based trauma, which lots and lots of us has, but it severs our ability to connect quite literally with ourselves and other human beings. And, and two of the, I found this so interesting, two of the hallmarks of connection-based trauma are number one, hmm. uh, being super intellectual in your head. So, which is, you know, prized in this culture for men to be, oh, intellectual, rational, and like very disconnected from the heart center, uh, their bodies, their physical bodies. And then also to, to engage in spiritual practices that yeah. are uh, disassociative. So um, again, being very in the head. So there's a sense of spiritual superiority or intellectual superiority that, that um, uh, kind of covers or masks the, the deep need and the deep desire for uh, intimacy and connection. So it was just fascinating because I, I definitely recognized that survival style in myself from when I was younger, from, from my childhood trauma. And so it's been an interesting to observe as those uh, connection pathways have healed in me, uh, being able to really observe that in, in some of the men that I encounter. Uh, so I can kind of point out, I'm like, oh, yeah, you've got connection-based survival style going on right now. <laughs> you've got some connection-based trauma. <laughs> this is fascinating. When you talk about guys being in their head and that disconnection from the heart and the body, I was reminded of somebody I observed once in the kink scene. And um, this guy was very... Like when, when not doing kink or BDSM stuff was very much in his head. Like I, I described him to somebody as being a talking head, like very disconnected from his body. And yet he was incredibly drawn into kink and BDSM. And that always seemed, you know, I never felt like that would be a safe place to go with somebody who would be so disconnected. Um, but it would make sense to me that someone who... Uh, doesn't have any other way to get in their body might find that something as extreme as BDSM or other kinds of kink might actually help them to find a way to access their body again. Yes. Yeah. The, the extremes. It, yeah. The intensity. Um, sometimes that's what it takes to reconnect. And of course there's a fine line between that and going into sexual violence. 
Absolutely. Yes. I don't, I don't, I'm not well versed in the, in the kink scene. I had, I dabbled several years ago and had a unsavory, few unsavory experiences. So I haven't dipped my toe back in it. So I can't speak to that. <laughs> That's totally fine. I, it's, you know, I, I've, I've definitely had my share of experiences in that community. And, you know, when, when everyone can be embodied and, knows their body and checks in with each other and has like really fluid communication. I think it's great where I've seen the problems come up is when people are checking out and disassociating without even realizing it necessarily. Um, and that always takes me back to like, well, what is the, what is the root trauma that's um, at work when we're disassociating? Um, yeah. And I, I'd never really considered the impact of circumcision to be, so directly tied to that. This is really, really interesting. Oh yeah. It's, it's massive. Like for any, any of you folks who are listening, like, like if you research the function of the foreskin and the impact of again, infant male circumcision, I mean, it's like, it, it's, it's because an infant's brain is not even fully developed for like I think several years after birth, if I'm remembering correctly. So your, your brain is like in its formative stages. And so that's, it's a severe shock trauma. It's severe. It's like having your leg blown off when you're first born. Like it's in, it, it, the, it rewires the neural pathways and literally damages parts of the brain. There have been MRIs done on infant boys before and after circumcision and it damages areas of the brain connected with empathy and emotion. Wow. It Uh it, makes a lot of sense. It it? damages the area of the brain connected with empathy and emotion, but you're saying that there are practices that can help a man reconnect with those areas, reconnect with the sensation, heal that trauma and, and presumably then reconnect with those parts of his own brain. Well, yeah, because of neuroplasticity, right? So the Buddha said any illness that can be understood can be mm-hmm. purified. And so the brain is elastic, or I don't know if that's the right word. It's it's plastic, right? So what it wants, I mean, that's like the human design. The human body is designed to heal. That's what it's designed to do. So all we really need to do is give it the support that it needs to function the way it was designed to function it's a brilliant design and so if we understand the source of the trauma so let's say you know circumcision trauma specifically so the source of that trauma was in the lamb it was cutting penis sorry it was cutting necessary tissue the foreskin has a function it is an organ (laughs) it's not vestigial it it is there Mm -hmm. for a reason Uh, So cutting a necessary organ off of the body. So when we use the principles of somatic healing, touch and breath and, and awareness and presence and breathing into the body and using loving touch and, and translating pleasure from areas that have sensation to areas that don't have sensation. That's really miraculous. I mean, the recovery happens. It can happen really quickly. Um, it can happen, you know, in one session or several sessions, or, you know, it really depends on the, on the person and their body. And then there's always layers, right? But as these as the 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 crystallization of the trauma releases from the cells it also releases from the nervous system 
And then the neural pathways begin to unlock the ones that are frozen there begin to unlock and then they begin to relax and open and heal and rewire. The most effective way to rewire neural pathways in the brain is through genital stimulation. Mm. That's why jacking off to porn can be so detrimental when it's abused, because if you're consistently just like stimulating your genitals to porn and trying to ejaculate, you know, as quickly as you possibly can to like a billion different images, that's you're wiring your neural pathways. You're literally wiring your brain for this one thing. So it's going to be really hard for you to last, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, if your entire nervous system is wired to come as quickly as you can to, you know, whatever images are on your screen. You've mentioned this a few times, this fixation that our Western culture has on ejaculation. And I know that in your teachings, this is not the focus. No. Well, orgasm in general isn't the goal, particularly ejaculation, because it's over. It's like, I don't, I just don't, why, why would you want to hurry up and get there? Because it's over. Like it's, it's, it's done. That's it. I've noticed this in my male partners that every, every male partner has a very unique relationship to their, their penis and to their sexuality and to orgasm. And, you know, I've, I've had lovers who are like really trying hard not to have an orgasm because they don't want to disappoint me. They don't want it to like be over and done, but there's also, I've had lovers who are getting self-conscious that they haven't had an orgasm yet, or rather they haven't ejaculated yet. And, and they're like really trying to like, it's almost like they think they have to ejaculate in order for me to feel good about my ability to please them. So many times I have to say like, hey, it's about the journey, not the destination. Yeah, exactly. Because as a culture, we're conditioned to like, again, it's I say that 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 our culture relationship to sexuality is like a 15 year old boy. Like that's the way we're conditioned. That's the model that we have for sexuality. It's fast. It's short. It's quick. You get there. You you ejaculate. It's over. And and female bodies are supposed to follow that same pattern. We're supposed to get aroused. We're supposed to come, and we're it's supposed to be over. And you get one orgasm, and that's it. And it's like this. It's it's reflective of the sexuality of a fifteen year old boy. So that's the that's our culture and so it's you know when we start to like peel back the layers and have these conversations of like oh like sex can be a journey you don't ever have to ejaculate you can have orgasms without ejaculating you can you know you could have no orgasms and be fully satisfied you could have 10 orgasms and and they feel like shivers in your toes i mean it's it's like our 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 experience for pleasure is literally infinite. Mm. It's literally infinite. It is so much vaster than we've been led to believe. And we are conditioned to put it in a tiny little box and, and that's it. That's, that's all you get. And again, it's, it, it makes me mad if you can't tell because it's, <laughs> it's a sacrilege. Um, it, it's a travesty compared to what our potential is. So, um, so yeah, what you're describing is people being uninformed about their sexual potential. Like I, I, same with me with Tantra. I remember before, right before I, um, I started uh, training in Tantra, I had a, I had a boyfriend, um, and he, he practiced semen retention, but I didn't know what the heck that was. 
And so, and he didn't explain it to me. So we were having sex and he just wouldn't ejaculate. And so like when we would stop, I'm like, well, did you come? And he said, no. And I'm like, well, why not? What's wrong with me? Like I didn't do my job well because I didn't get your cum, right? That's what I'm thinking. Or you don't like me or my vagina's broken or, you know, something because you didn't ejaculate. And he's like, oh, I just didn't feel like it. Well, it would have helped if he had told me. He was like intentionally practicing semen retention because I just thought he was trying to, you know, like make me feel better or whatever by saying, oh, I didn't want to. Right. Mm -hmm. So, again, you know, the more communication is huge in 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 sexual relationships like sexuality when, when we're being sexually intimate, whether it's penis and vagina or finger in your butthole or whatever it is, it's the most intimate experience to human bodies can have so why aren't we talking to each other <laughs> during it or about it like why why aren't we allowed to talk about our experience and what feels good and and what we you know what could be better or what's possible even like let's explore what's possible they don't talk about it in romantic comedies or in porn movies they just do it yeah, well, exactly. And then it's, and it's over in like 20 seconds, unless they do a menage, you know, one of those menage things. Is that what it is? Montage. Montage. And it makes it look like a whole, you know, five hours have passed in the space of 20 seconds or something, right? Yeah. And yeah, what you say about the, the 15 year old boy's sexuality, like, yeah, like when, when we hit puberty, hormones are going through our bodies, no matter what kind of body you have, no matter what kind of genitals, like, so hormones surge and hormones need to sort of just like get let out of the system. And that's part of the process, I think, of how we as human beings have been, have evolved into like, you know, we get this time, this period of our lives where we're supposed to be able to explore uh, the spectrum of our sexuality and our sensuality. But then, you know, 15 year old boys get shamed for masturbating and even though it's something that many of them want to do just all the time, and then they never get to explore that full spectrum. Oh, and the shame plays a huge part. So put put this in context, like 15 years old or, you know, younger, whatever age, and it's like, you've got to go as quickly as you can, as quietly as you can, build up this tension, have this explosion, hide it. God forbid your mom walks in the room. Like a lot of a lot of young men that I've spoken to, they do it in the shower. It's like the whole goal is to get it over with as quick, quickly and quietly as possible. That's the whole goal. So juxtapose that with, instead of that, imagine a society where when a young man is coming of age, He's spoken to about, you know, pleasure and how it's healthy. He's given space and time to explore. There's no shame. If you want to connect with your sexuality, just hang a, you know, put a sign on your door or something or, you know, whatever your space in your house allows. But just you're allowed to take your privacy to connect with yourself sensually. Oh, and here's some books on how to do it. Oh, and here's, you know, here's an educational video on, on how to connect you know light candles and shit and have roses or whatever you know and oh and you use lube and oh you actually have your foreskin intact you know so it's like it's a completely different atmosphere and so they're going they're going to have permission to explore the boundaries of their sexual experience and then maybe even having someone that they can talk to about it like hey dad or uncle or you know auntie 
I had this experience, you know, when I orgasmed and it was like I was in a, in a field of light and I was in, it lasted, you know, two minutes and auntie or uncle could say, oh yeah, that's, that's your enlightened consciousness. And this is the purpose. So when you get it, get to that point, relax and breathe and do these pelvic floor things. So like there's actually training and education about what human sexuality is really about. It is not for making babies. The purpose of human sexuality is for mm. transcendence. If the purpose of making babies, we'd be able to get pregnant every single time we have sex. And our fertility window is 24 hours. That is a short <laughs> window. 24 hours is a very short window that we are fertile. And yet we can have sex like, you know, 30 days every, every single day of the year, right? So it's a fallacy, in my opinion, to believe the lie that the purpose of human sex is procreation. It's not. That's a byproduct. The purpose of human sexuality is the realization of our ultimate consciousness. I love what you're describing. It's It sounds like an incredible rite of passage into adulthood. And and I, I can... I'm not a parent, but I, I have lots of friends who are parents and some who are parents of young boys. And... um you know, there's so many ways that one could customize this idea of just supporting your son in experiencing their sexuality and having their own agency in that um, and giving them the tools like so many men don't know their own anatomy. Heck, I didn't even know the anatomy and I've studied anatomy, but like the study of anatomy stopped when it got to the genitals. And it wasn't until a few weeks ago I was I, I went to um a anal massage workshop and uh sorry a prostate massage workshop and they gave us a diagram of the male genitalia anatomy and i'd never seen the full diagram i'd never seen that like cross section and i was like oh wait this is where the prostate sits in relation to the bladder and this is how the vast deference goes around and like all this precise stuff i was like oh my goodness i suddenly understand so much more about what's going on in this experience for my male partners. And I never knew yeah. that. And I'm like, did they know that? Not unless they study it. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's uh, our, our sexual anatomy is fascinating. When we actually look at sexual anatomy for both males and females, we see that we're, we are literally built for pleasure. <laughs> that's what we're built for, right? That's that's what we're wired for. So it's it is fascinating, and 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 yeah, we're again we've been kept from from our knowledge, knowledge that is our birthright. It is our birthright to understand the way our bodies function, particularly the way they function for pleasure. That is part of our birthright. And and you you touched upon something um, before you, when you said rite of passage. That is a huge void in our culture. There are not any rites of passage for men at all. None other than maybe like drunken frat boy parties, right? Maybe, maybe that where, you know, like Brett Kavanaugh putting penises in people's hands, that's your rite of passage. Right. But, but that's it, you know, and, and, and for, for female bodied beings, at least we, we get to have periods and that, you know, that, that's a, that's a, a physiological rite of passage. One day we're not bleeding the next day we are right. But for, but for men, they get nothing other than like this weird, maybe wet dreams, you know, and then they feel shame and guilt about their bodies and pleasure and making a mess and all that stuff. So there's, I, I, I remember speaking on that. I remember um, going through this healing process with my husband about his ejaculate. 
and he rarely he, he rarely ejaculates and and when he would ejaculate he would like hurry up and like want to wipe it off or run to the bathroom and like he was all like super apologetic about his ejaculate i'm like okay so so this one night I was just kind of observing this over time. So this one one night he, he he ejaculated and it and it went on his body and he wanted to like jump up and clean it up. And I said, okay, so I'm gonna invite you to just relax here and breathe a little bit and like what's going on? And he started talking about how ashamed mm. he felt of his semen, how it was gross and it was disgusting, and he wanted to get rid of it and he wanted to hide the evidence of his pleasure that his semen was a physical representation of pleasure and that sexual pleasure was dirty, wrong, and shameful. And he traced all the way back to, you know, like religious conditioning and, oh my God, what if mom finds out and mom's going to wash the sheets and, you know, all this stuff about, about moms and sex, you know, for boys, which is uncomfortable and weird, but it was really fascinating because it was like, he felt embarrassed and ashamed of the physical evidence of his pleasure. I think I just had a really interesting insight about one of the things that bothers me about the like modern men's movements and men's groups and things like that, because even like there are some great men's groups out there doing like conscious work on helping men to do the emotional labor for one another and, and heal their masculine and move towards healthy masculinity. I don't know that any of them are going into the kind of conversations that you just described that you had with your husband. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't think of it, right? I mean, you know, it's just normal, right? It's a pattern. It's normal. It's just accepted as normal. So you don't, you don't, you don't know until somebody, you know, who, who it isn't normal for shines a light on it, right? Like, Hey, wait a minute. Why do you want to erase this evidence of your pleasure? What's at the root of that? And then he was able to like super process his emotions around it. Like, oh my God, it's embarrassment and it's shame and I'm afraid and my mom and I feel guilty and like just all the emotional baggage that's involved in ejaculating. I mean, something, you know, but like who knew that there was so much baggage there. And then on the flip side, how much liberation that now he can embrace and accept the evidence of his pleasure. And in fact, and like we celebrate it because I, you know, it doesn't happen very often. So I'm like, this is awesome. This is gold. You've been storing this up for a while. (laughs) Don't get rid of it. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. One of the things that I've uh, read about sexuality and, and like, Because, I mean, I'm self-confessed relationship nerd and sexuality for so long was this big unknown for me. And uh, so I nerd out whenever I can. And I read somewhere once that most women can only achieve orgasm when they're in their parasympathetic state. And most men can only achieve orgasm in their sympathetic state. And I mean, this is this was in more of like a sort of medical like textbook. So you know, they don't really look at the whole spectrum of different kinds of orgasm in there. But I always go back to them and think about the ways that we get conditioned. Going back to that, uh, men are the pursuers of sex, right? Pursuit is that you're in fight, you're in flight, you're you're activated. Um, and whereas the parasympathetic state is the state of receptivity and is is a state where you can be more empathetic and more compassionate. 
And then, you know, you're talking about how all these traumas, whether it's circumcision and or the shaming around one's own pleasure, um, play into disconnecting from that ability to receive and be open. There's like immediately fear about, oh, my God, what if someone finds the evidence? And so the experience of pleasure and orgasm and ejaculation is getting wrapped up with fear responses. Um, and, you know, I, I had an experience with a lover a little while ago where we talked about what is it like for you if you don't have to be the one performing the sex? What if it's not about you having to please me? What if it's about you receiving pleasure? And know that I'm receiving pleasure too. Like this is mutual receiving and giving of pleasure, but actually just letting go and surrendering, receiving. Uh, and, you know, there's a whole different quality to that rather than this uh, almost, um, you know, I, I think of <laughs> the classic porn star thing of like the guy's just going to like hump, 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 hump until he comes that you just lie back and there isn't necessarily a clear beginning and end to sexuality. I, I see this happen more in queer porn. And, and I think that people who've explored their queerness tend to have a better experience of this because, you know, if you're two men having sex with each other or um, you're two trans identified people having sex with each other, you're, you're already like challenging a whole bunch of the scripts. So there's more like, okay, well now what, mm -hmm. how else do we, we embody this? Yeah, exactly. And my understanding of, of the nervous system and sexual function is that ejaculation is a function of the sympathetic nervous system. Erection is actually a function of the parasympathetic nervous system. So in the human body in general. So yeah, it's, it's, and so part of what we do with Tantra is use methods to help relax that sympathetic response and relax into, you know, a, a relaxed arousal, a balanced nervous system, engage the vagus nerve in, in a positive way. And, and what I find with men is that the key is to really relax with sensation and relax with pleasure. Tantra, we say re relaxing at the peak of pleasure. So that's how men are actually able to blossom into being multi-orgasmic and have non-ejaculatory orgasm is the more that they can relax into the pleasure as opposed to chasing it, as opposed to avoiding it, as opposed to like, you know, exerting any effort whatsoever, the more they can utterly and absolutely just relax with the experience and with the sensation, the more quickly they're able to achieve these um uh, different flavors and types of orgasm. Yeah. And, and it's, and giving ourselves time and space again, it boils down to giving ourselves time and space to explore, letting go of the script of the condition. This is what our sex has to look like. This is what it should look like in order to be doing it right. And in fact, most of the images that we see in the media and porn about, or at least mainstream porn about what sex should look like, in my opinion, are, are, absolutely incorrect like i would never try to fuck like i see on tv ever <laughs> like that would be like like water <laughs> that'd be awful have you ever seen the flight of the concord song business time no. are you familiar with that no, no, no. oh i'll have to send it to you they're this wonderful comedy duo from new zealand and they they do a lot of very um it's it's musical parody 
And they have a song called Business Time that's basically between a guy and his partner um, talking about like, you know, it's Thursday night, we've done the recycling, now now it's time for business. And, and you know, it's like two minutes long. And anyway, it 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 basically is making fun of this normalcy, this acceptance of like sex is just going to be this like thing that we schedule into 10 minutes before bedtime. Uh, yeah. When you're both tired and uninspired and then, you know, and you wonder why people aren't satisfied. Like it's like, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, in, in the Dallas tradition, they, they talk about like sex is like food. I mean, it really is. And, and it's like, if you, if you, eat the same thing every day, you're going to be malnourished and you might develop an allergy. And you don't just like, you know, ideally when you eat, you you take time to prepare the food and then you take time to eat the food. So it's an event. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, this fly by night kind of thing. Now, granted in our modern lives, sometimes it very much is that, but we, I can say, I certainly appreciate the times when I'm actually able to sit down and enjoy a meal. It's a whole sensual experience. You have your wine or your kombucha and food and conversation and candlelight and all that. It's amazing. It's delicious. It's, it's, a, it, it, it's an enriching experience. In my opinion, our sex should be the same. And, and the 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 view the western view of of sexuality as something shameful and dirty and embarrassing and to be rushed through is is actually a form of mental illness from that perspective so you know one of the things i often say is like putting it in context it's like imagine if every time you got hungry you felt guilty and shameful about it Imagine if we as a society, like you couldn't talk about food, you had to eat in private as quickly as you could in your in your bedroom, you had to pretend that you didn't do it. Like, and every time you ate, after you ate, you felt horribly guilty and ashamed and you needed to go to therapy about it. Like that's, mm -hmm. it's, it's insane. It's, it, it, we, we recognize that as insanity. That's the same thing about our sexual desire. It's an appetite. It's normal. It's healthy. We should be feeling it. In fact, sexual, sexual desire is a sign of good health. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's an, an incredible analogy. Yeah. Someone was going through that. We would say, yes, you, you have an eating disorder. You need to get support and help for this. Otherwise you're going to get really sick, but we don't do the same thing when it comes to our desire because we live in a society that has structured itself around a sexual disorder. Exactly. What is normal in Western culture is a disorder. It, it is not healthy in any way, shape, or form. It should not be emulated. It should not be taught. It should not be admired. It is a disorder. And so men who are trying to break out of that, how do they, how do they do that? Well, it depends on the man. <laughs> it depends on what resonates with him. I mean, there, there, there are so many avenues. I, I mean, I have to say that in, in my work in, in Tantra, I have had the privilege of communicating with and connecting with and observing like so many men who are so dedicated and committed to mastering their sexuality, exploring their sexuality, studying their sexuality, enhancing their sexuality. Like it's like 
I mean, it's way more, there's way more activity in regards to men and sexuality than there is oftentimes in, in, in women, like quite frankly, like the most of the questions we get through our website are from men who are like, they want this information. Now, granted, they're not always willing to slow down and invest the time and energy that it takes to really master and cultivate, but they definitely want that information. So, um, you know, it, it really, there's a lot to read. There's a lot to explore. Um, you know, you have some wonderful resources and for men that are really interested in cultivating their sexuality as part of their spiritual path, Tantra is essential for that. In my opinion, the, 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 the correct lineage of Tantra. So um, I encourage people to do their homework in that regard. Um, and the, I think the, the, the primary orientation to to exploring sexuality from my point of view is is recognizing that we have trauma yeah. <laughs> as a culture we have trauma there is a cause of that trauma there is an end to that trauma and there is a cause to the end of that trauma so really viewing your your sexual journey as a healing journey and approaching it from that viewpoint and, and with an attitude of, of curiosity, like there really is no goal. I have been doing this for 11 years and I continue to awaken and blossom and uncover and move through stuff and, and my orgasm changes and like all sorts of stuff. And I've been doing this for 11 years. Like there is no end in sight, nor would I want there to be. It's infinite. It's like this great ride I get to be on forever. So in regards to exploring our sexuality, like the most important thing is, is having an attitude of curiosity. Wow. I wonder, I wonder what would happen if I did this. I wonder what would happen if I explored this. Oh, I really resonate with this. This really speaks to me. I'm going to dive more deeply into this and recognize that this is a healing journey. And, and you're going to be uncovering these precious pieces of yourself that have been covered up and lost along the way. And you're going to access like parts of yourself, your heart, your soul, your personality that, that you didn't even know existed and you're going to become more whole and healthy and integrated as a human being. And you're going to have better relationships and you're going to have, uh, be more beneficial to the world around you. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. And for people like you and I who love men and who enjoy being lovers with men, how do we support these men as lovers of them? Uh, in exploring their sexuality and, and healing from all these many different traumas and sexual disorder? Well, for me, it began with healing my own trauma. Mm. Like I had so much trauma about men. I mean, I'm a survivor of sexual abuse. I, I was a stripper in a shitty club in Detroit. I was sexually assaulted every night. I mean, I've had to deal with men's hands on my body my entire life. So I had all kinds of pain around men. I had, a, I had tremendous anger. And so I had to heal my own pain around being abused. I had to heal the abuse. Um, and, and it wasn't even, you know, I wasn't like intentionally trying to heal my relationship with men. I was just like, I just wanted to heal all the pain in my body and my emotions and my psyche and all of that. And the beautiful result of that has been, feeling safe for the first time in my life mm. with men and feeling present and compassionate and empathetic and just love in my heart for the suffering that we all have as human beings. So 
I think we as women, we need to, we need to acknowledge and address and, and heal, or at least start healing our own wounding and our own trauma around men. We can't hold space for the men in our lives when, when we're in pain, when, when our pain is being re-triggered <laughs> by the men in our lives, right? It's a, it's a joint effort. We don't, we don't get to wholeness with only one side of the equation. We all need to be doing this as human beings, uh, so that we can we can live on this planet in peace together. So being responsible, I think, as as women for healing our relationship to our bodies, uh, addressing our wounds, addressing our pain, awakening, exploring our own sexuality, as opposed to relying upon our partners to do it for us. Like that's a huge thing. We're conditioned as women, like Prince Charming is supposed to come and give us a kiss of life and awaken our orgasm. And it's, you know, it's his job and we're not going to tell him if he's doing something wrong or right, because he's supposed to know. I mean, there's, there, we didn't even get into the conditioning. For oh, God. Sexuality, but it's harmful. It's, it's, it, our cultural conditioning is harmful, period. <laughs> it just is. It's not healthy. So reclaiming our relationship to our own sec- our own sexuality and being responsible for our own pleasure and our own orgasm is essential, I believe. So what I'm hearing here is that none of this happens if we are functioning alone, that this is work we need to do together. I believe, yeah. We need to do with, with our lovers and with community, with teachers, with lineage, with support. Yeah. I mean, as human beings, we're wired for connection. Our, mm-hmm. our brain is a relationship organ. That's, that's what it's for. At least the mammalian brain, <laughs> no, maybe not the reptilian brain, but the mammalian brain is all about social connection, right? So yeah, we need the support of of our community. We need the support of our teachers. We need the support of our peers. And we also need the internal support of our, of our internal resources. We need the support of ourselves. Um, and for me, I, the support of my connection to, to the divine has been the only reason I'm still here. So yeah, it's, it's all about connection, connection with ourselves, connection with our environment, connection with each other. Thank you for also bringing in that layer about the connection to the divine. Like, um, I know that for some people uh, that that may fall outside of their belief system or outside of their realm of experience. But, you know, I, I have definitely observed again and again that when people start to experience what can be unlocked in their sexuality and in their sensual expression, and they try to put it into words, the closest they can come to is like, it's an experience of the divine, like actually seeing visions of lights and shapes and, and, and beings uh, seems to be something that happens as people get into the deeper realms of healing. And unless you've done that, it's, you know, you may not be able to fathom that it's possible. Right. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's huge. And you know, this comes back to part of why I wanted to do this podcast and do this series is because it breaks my heart seeing the state of the world and seeing how, you know, the patriarchy and the unhealthy ways that we treat men and the consequential ways that women are treated badly um, and the consequential ways that trans people and queer people are treated badly, that you know, we're, we're falling apart at the seams as a society because we've been, we've been missing some huge pieces here. And it's been all about how do we deconstruct that? 
that male violence and how do we create this healing and create better relationship and what you have offered here today, Davey, I feel like this is possibly, this is like the secret missing ingredient that a lot of people skip over. And they probably skip over it because of all the internal shaming around their sexualities. Um, so thank you. Thank you for bringing this piece to the conversation. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for asking me. And I'm, I'm honored and delighted to know that that my my view and my orientation can be beneficial to everyone. So yeah, it's necessary. I agree. We're falling apart at the seams. Obviously, the way we've been functioning is not working. So (laughs) we can't just go do it harder. Yeah, that that doesn't seem to be working, you know, harder would mean destruction. So so let's, you know, pull back and try a different way, maybe. I, I just love and value and appreciate all of us who are on this journey of seeking and evolving and, and wanting to be in healthy relationship with ourselves and each other. So I just appreciate everyone who's listening and celebrate your desire to, to learn and to grow and to heal. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Davey. Thank you. Yeah. And if if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Yeah, so our website, AuthenticTantra.com, is uh, one of the best ways. Uh, we also are on social media. So um, social media, Authentic Tantra on Facebook. Um, I don't check our Authentic Tantra Twitter account at all. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> authentic tantra on instagram but also me personally i'm on twitter on davy word tantra because i'm following politics and stuff on twitter so that's that's what i'm doing on twitter um but if you want to contact me on instagram davy word tantra or facebook davy word tantra as well but our, the best website to reach us at is authentic tantra.com that's where that's where we do our stuff awesome thank you davy yeah you're welcome The Masculinity Podcast is made possible by the support of people like you. Please visit my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash masculinity, M-A-S-C-U-L-I-N-I-T-E-A. Your support means the world to me. And all people who support this podcast get to join our exclusive Facebook group where the conversation continues. Join us next time for more conversations about men, masculinity, and our relationships to them. In the meantime, if you have ideas, questions, or things you'd like me to talk about, give me a shout. Melina at RadicalRelationshipCoaching.ca